Today we're wrapping up our series, Asking for a Friend, and we're going to start with a little English lesson. Sounds exciting, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, Gary Coffey was my English professor at Louisville Bible College, and so if he was my grammar professor, and so if I speak incorrectly, you can blame Gary. Um, uh, Gary was, a, was an excellent English teacher, but we're going to talk uh, just real quickly about a few terms. Maybe you remember some terms from your English class, uh, whether it was high school or grade school or even college. Um, anybody remember a synonym? You remember what that is? It's just a, two words that, uh, that mean something similar, right? Maybe you remember the term antonym. Those are just uh, words that, that have opposite meanings. How many of you remember this word, though, the word homonym? How many of you remember that word? Yeah, a homonym is just two words that are spelled exactly the same, they sound exactly the same, but they have completely different meanings. So we're going to do a little exercise this morning, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a couple of words, and I just want you to think, you don't have to say it out loud, but I just want you to immediately think of the first, uh, of what comes to your mind when you hear that word. And then I'm going to give you a couple of definitions, and we're going to see if they match up. First word is this, fly. Now, immediately, what do you think of? How many of you, when you hear the word fly, you immediately think of like flying in the sky like on an airplane? Show of hands. That's what you thought of. All right. Some of you. How many of you think of the insect? Like there's one flying around up here right now and I'm going to swat him all week or all morning. You think all week. He's going to preach all week? Yeah. That was a little Freudian slip there. Uh, How many of you thought, hey, is my fly zipped? Like anybody think that? All right. How about this word? Date. Anybody think of the fruit date, like something that you eat? Anybody think of that? Okay, couple. How many of you thought, date? I haven't been on one of those in a while. I could, I could use a date night. Anybody think that? A few of you? How many of you thought about a specific calendar date? Yeah, maybe your birthday. There's that fly. Uh, let's try one more. How about the word ring? How many of you thought about something that you might hear, like there's a ringing in your ears, like Adam, when you preach, I keep hearing this ring in my ear. Jerry, you weren't supposed to raise your hand on that one. Uh, How many of you thought about something that goes on your finger, like a piece of jewelry, a ring? Yeah, most of the women, right? How many of you thought about the ring doorbell that's on your house? A few of you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but a couple of you, you thought about a ring, like a wrestling ring, like, like WWE ring, didn't you? That's what you thought about. Here's the point. All of these words have very different meanings that pop into our minds, and we know that this can happen. And so today what I want to do is I just want to spend a few minutes talking about this word, the word church. Now, I'm not going to ask you to, to say out loud, and I'm not going to ask you to vote, but what do you think of? What immediately pops into your head when you hear the word Church. Maybe for, maybe for some of you, you, you think of a building, like maybe this building, this is where you come to church, and this is, so when I think church, I think this building, this is where I worship at. For some of you, when you hear the word church, you might think music or, or message, that's what you think about when you think about church. Some of you might think about an organization, a denomination, maybe. Some of you might think about people. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be a good thing if you've had a good experience in the church and, and you think about people that you've, you've had great relationships with. It could be a bad thing. It could be a negative thing because you've, been, you've had bad experiences with the church. You've been hurt by the church. Here's what I believe, though. I believe that your definition of the church for you will either be the single, maybe the greatest single factor in your life that determines whether or not you get stuck in your faith or you move forward in your life. 
How you define this word, the word church, will determine whether you move forward in your life or if you get stuck in your faith. Your definition or your meaning of what is the church. And so what I really want to talk about today as we wrap up this series, Asking for, for a Friend, where we've been asking different questions, is this question. Do I really need the church? Do you need the church or can you just, can you just uh, operate as an individual all alone? Can you operate apart from, from a body? And, and we know this is a relevant question and here's why we know that. Because studies have been done, even in the last couple of years, specifically among Americans, where they've asked the question, can, can you be a good Christian? Now I'm going to tell you there's no such thing as a good Christian. We're all, you're either Christian or you're not. There's no good, bad, in between. You're just Christian. But they've asked the question, can you be a good Christian and not go to church? And 80% of people in America said, yes, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Is that true? Do you actually need the church? And so in order to answer that question, I, I, do I need the church? I think we first have to come up with an answer to another question. And that question is this question. What is the church? What is the church? Well, well the word church is used 117 times in the New Testament. And every time that word is used in the New Testament, it's a specific Greek word that is used. It's the Greek word ekklesia. You might, have been, you might be familiar with that word. You, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard us use that word uh, in a sermon maybe similar to this. But you've heard that word ekklesia. In fact, I would like for you all to all say that word with me. If you learn nothing else today, you'll learn a Greek word, ekklesia. Won't you say that with me? One, two, three. Ekklesia. And the word ecclesia, it literally means a physical assembly or a gathering of people with a shared purpose. A physical assembly, a gathering of people with a shared purpose. But here's one of the crazy things that you find when you study the word ecclesia. When you study it in scripture, what we know is that the word ecclesia is not a biblical term. It's not. It's not a biblical term. Some of you may have, may have heard that before and that might, might be what you thought, but it's not. What, what the word ecclesia is, it's a, it's a Greek term. And this word was used all throughout Greek culture to represent a physical gathering of people with a shared purpose. And what the church did is, is they took this term to refer to a physical gathering of people worshiping Jesus, and they just applied that, that same term. But even in Scripture, it's not always used as a physical gathering of people worshiping Jesus every time. It's not. It's just a Greek term for a gathering of people. In fact, about 95% of the, term, of the time, this term is referred to as people, what we would call, consider the church. It's, it's referring to that. But, but not every time. In fact, let me just give you an example of, of this. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is traveling all across the Mediterranean Rim, and he's planting churches everywhere he goes. And he gets to the city of Ephesus. Uh, it's also, that, that's the city that he would write the letter to the Ephesians. And so he gets to the city of Ephesus, and while he's there, he's preaching Jesus. And he's preaching Jesus to a point where, where he's so passionate and convicting about it that people stop following the Greek gods. Specifically, they stop following the Greek god Artemis, who, who had a temple there in Ephesus. And because of that, the city gets kind of in an uproar. People, people don't do well with change, do they? And, and something is changing in their city. There's, there's a new uh, authority, so to speak, in town. And people are starting to get in an uproar. And there's, there's actually a, a, a city riot against Paul. And it says in Acts 19 that the whole city gathers together in, in this outdoor amphitheater. Which, by the way, the city of Ephesus has been been incredibly preserved you can you can go there today and, and this outdoor amphitheater that, that it talks about in Acts chapter 19 it's still there you can go in there you can stand in the middle of it you can stand where Paul stood you can stand right where, where this is talking about 
But it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 3, it says, The assembly, or the ecclesia, was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people didn't even know why they were there. I think that's funny. But listen, this wasn't a gathering of people who were following Jesus. This was just a a physical gathering of people. It was an ecclesia. Now, watch the same exact term be used just a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 11. Look at this. It says in Acts 11, it says, So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church, the ecclesia, and they taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians Christians first at Antioch. It's the same word that is used in both passages. So what happened? Well, as the church birthed, they began having physical gatherings together. They had a physical gathering in in Antioch where where they were first called Christians. And and it's just an ecclesia. It's just a physical gathering of people. So what can we learn uh, about the church, the true definition of church from, from this word ecclesia that's used over and over and over again? Well, one is this, is that we can learn that the church isn't a building. The church is not a building. In fact, if you've ever thought that, uh, I'm not, I, I just want to correct some, some misunderstandings, some, some, some misthought. The church is not a building. In fact, the word ecclesia, it leads us to believe that, that it's just a gathering of people, which means this as well, that the church is never less than a physical gathering of multiple people on mission for Jesus. And the church is never less than that. It's never an individual. It's never, you never, you never see this as ta- in, in the singular. It's never an individual, ever alone, ever. And I started thinking about this when, when I thought, when I was thinking about this message, that, that you can't even say out of your mouth, it wouldn't make sense, I am the church. Like, to use that phrase wouldn't make sense. It, it logically does not fit. It, it grammatically does not fit. You can't use that. What could you say, though? You could say, we are the church. Because we're a gathering of people worshiping Jesus. So it's never less than a physical gathering. But listen, while it's never less than a physical gathering, it's always more. It's always more, always more. Why? Because when we gather, we don't just gather physically. We gather to to do some things. We're called to do some things as a church, right? In fact, when the church was born in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had died and he'd he'd risen from the grave. And and, and then the church is birthed. Listen to what we're told to do in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There's four things listed there, and in those four things, that doesn't make up the totality of what we do at church. But they do make up the foundation for what we do in church, right? What do we do? Well, we come together to hear God's Word. That's happening right now, teaching. We, we come together for fellowship. We, we come together for, for, uh, for, to remember. During communion, we, we remember the, the most significant event that ever happened in human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we come together to pray. This is the church. And so what is the church? The church is very simply a gathering of people on mission for Jesus. That's the church. So the question is, do you need the church? Do you need the church? Or can you just operate as an individual on your own, just living out your faith? Because that's what you hear sometimes, right? You hear people say, say things like, I believe in Jesus. I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, uh, but I just don't really go to church, right? I just try and do my own thing. Can you do that? Is that a biblical thing to do? Is that, is that an okay thing to do? When I was a teenager, I, I went through this phase or season where I was, I was tired of the church. Maybe better said I was bored 
with the church. I grew up in the church. I've never known life apart from the church. Um, my, my parents made sure that I was in church all the time, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, every, time, every time church was open, we were there. It's what we did. But as I, as I got into high school, as a freshman, sophomore in high school, I just got tired and bored with the church. I didn't change any of my beliefs. I believed that the Bible was true. I believed that Jesus died for my sins. I believed that he rose from the dead. Nothing about my beliefs changed. But being involved with the church, no thank you. Not for me. I'm out. And with the benefit of hindsight, here's what I would tell you. It was one of the toughest seasons of my life ever. I struggled in all areas of life. School was terrible. I hated school. And not because I was bad at school. I actually did fairly well in school. But I hated school. My, my friendships at school were, were superficial at best. My relationship with my parents, who I've always had a pretty good relationship with, was probably the worst it had ever been during that time. I remember arguing with my dad during that stretch of life more than any other time. I remember getting in trouble with my dad, should say it that way maybe, more than any other time in my life during that stretch. And I just wonder if some of you, when you hear that, you think, yeah, I've, I've been there too. You, you've been there yourself. And I wish I knew how to explain this better, but, but what I know now and what many of you know as well is that when we gather together, when we, we gather physically in, in a place together, something mysteriously powerful happens in the gathering. The, the physical gathering, the, the ecclesia. And the, and the only way I know to explain it, to, to, articulate, to articulate this mystery is, is this way, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, we are told that God's Spirit, literally God comes to live with inside of you. And listen, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And listen, he lives inside of me and you and you and you and you and you. He lives inside of all of us, right? God's Spirit is in the midst of all of us and combined together it's this mysterious power. And you can sense it. And you can feel it, I hope. But you can't always describe it. And because of COVID, we know what it's like to not have a, a gathering, right? If you ever wanted to know what it was like to not be able to go to church, to not have a gathering, we, we know because just remember what you experienced a few years ago, right? If you ever want to know what would happen, well, you know now. And when we first resumed gathering together after COVID, uh, there wasn't a weekend that would go by where somebody wouldn't come up to me and say, hey, I'm back for the first time. And hey, I'm really glad we did online. And, and I watched online. I watched every week, but it wasn't the same. It just wasn't, there, I'm telling you, there wasn't a weekend that went by for months where somebody would come back for the first time and they'd say, we're so glad we were able to do online, but it just wasn't the same. And many of you had that same exact experience. Many of you are the ones that told me that. In fact, some of you, when you came back to church for the first time, there, there were literally tears in your eyes. You were brought to tears because of, of the power of being together with God's people. There is power in the presence of God's people. It's an ecclesia. And to speak about the power of, uh, of the gathering, I want to give you three different analogies that we find in Scripture. And, and I hope that God uses one of these three analogies to, to just strike a chord with you today, to, to speak to you today, and so that you will never forget what the church is and why it's so important for you to be a part of the physical gathering. Here's the first analogy that we're going to look at today. Scripture compares the church to a body. Eleven times in, in, in the New, New Testament, we're told that the church is compared to a body. Ephesians 5.23, Paul writes this, he says, Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of His body, the church. The church, us, gathered together as followers of Jesus, we are literally a body. The church is, is the physical representation of Jesus here on earth. 
And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the church, isn't he? He's, he's talking about the church. And think about the church as a body. Each of us make up a different part of, of the body. But together we have to be a, a unified. We have to be together a, a unified body, and we make up the church. So here's my question. If the church is a body, if the church is a body, and, and Scripture compares it to that, if the church is a body, if you disconnect from the body, are you still a part of the body of Christ? Are you still a part? Let's, th- let's th- think deeply about that for a moment. If you said, hey, I'm a hand, or I'm a knee, or I'm a foot, or, or I'm a toe, or, or I'm an arm, or whatever, and, and you're disconnected from the body, are you still a part of the body of Christ? If, if I chopped off my hand, which I'm not going to do, but if I chopped off my hand and I left it at home, is it still a part of the body? No. It's just a hand, right? I mean, I, I couldn't take my hand and say, hey, look, look at my body, right? Look at my body. No, you'd say, no, that's not a body. It's, it's, it's a limb. It's, it's a hand. And what do we know scientifically? We know scientifically that any part of the body that is cut off, if, it doesn't, if it's not immediately reconnected to the body, what happens to it? it yeah, it dies. It dies. It is strained of all life because the only way to be a part of the body, to, to live and to activate and to grow, is if it's connected to the body. And I want some of you to know this morning that the reason that you feel drained, the reason you feel lifeless, is maybe because you've been disconnected from the body. You're, you're not consistent with the body of Christ. And this is the analogy that we're given. And some of you are thinking, well, well, I don't really connect with the body of Christ. You know, I don't feel important. I'm not an important part of the body. You know, I'm really more probably just like a pinky finger on the body of Christ. And so I'm not that important. Well, let me just tell you, if that's what you think, if that's your mindset, I just, I want to be very blunt and honest, but also compassionate toward you about this, is that you're wrong. You're, you're, you're just wrong. There, there is no unimportant or non-essential part in the body of Christ. Did you know that the pinky, the pinky finger controls over half of your grip strength? Do you know that? There is, there is nobody non-essential in the body of Christ. Every person, in other words, every person, every single person is needed in the body of Christ. And we're told this in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul tells us that every part of the body is needed. And, and if you think you're a weak part or a needed part uh, or an unneeded part, listen to what Paul says. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually what? Most necessary. For some of you, you who think you don't need to be a part of the body, a, a contributing part of the body, I'm just telling you you're wrong. You're wrong. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities, and you need to be connected to the body. Let me say it this way. When you're not here, when you're not here, the body is incomplete. We are incomplete, and, and you are incomplete. The church is a body, and you were designed to be, to be connected. And if you ever want to live and thrive, then you have to be connected to the body of Christ. So that's the first analogy that, that we see in Scripture, that the church is a body. The second one we see, and this might be my favorite, is that... The, in, in Scripture, we see that the church is compared to marriage. Now, now marriage, you're thinking, that, that's weird, right? It's maybe even a little mysterious. And it is. It is. We're, we're told in this really powerful analogy that the church is like a mystery. Here's what Paul says. He even says it's a mystery. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, it says, As the Scripture says, 
A man leaves his father and his mother, and he is joined to his wife, and the two are united in, as one. And that's a mystery, right? Because how, it's a mystery to us how people find each other, right? It's, it's a mystery that of all the millions of people in the world that you find one person that you are compatible enough to live with and to be married to for the rest of your life. That, that's a mystery. Paul even says it's a great mystery. He says, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Some of you are thinking, yeah, my marriage is a mystery, right? But Paul says it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. When I was preparing for camp uh, several weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago, I read this verse again because our theme for our, our week camp was so much more, and I was, I was reading a lot in Ephesians, and, and I just ran across this verse again, and, and it was one of those unintentional things where I'm just kind of reading, and, and when I read that verse, it hit me again like a, like a brick in the face. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where, where you've read something over and over and over again, and you know it's true, you know what it's talking about, but, but maybe for some reason, whatever, whatever's going on, circumstances, whatever, something just jumps off the page at you and it just hits you in the face. That's, that's what it was like. I, I would liken it to about Thursday walking into the boys' dorm at camp, and there was, a, there was a brick of stink that hits you when you opened the door. That's kind of what this was like. I, I read this first, and I thought, wow, this is so true, and... And so, here's what I thought. I love, I absolutely love that we get to stream our services online. I I love that. I I love it because when you're traveling, it's a way for you to stay connected to to us. When when I'm traveling, I'm joining online every every time because it's how I can stay connected with, with the body. I love it for the fact that people are curious about church, that they can check us out online before they ever step foot in our doors. In fact, People will watch services online, and, and they, will, they will check out whether or not, like, hey, they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, or they're doing, or, or they're doing something good. They, they check you out online before they ever step foot in the door, and because they check you out online first, they're able to feel a little bit more comfortable when they come in. I love that. I, I love that, that we have uh, an opportunity for when you, ha- you have a sick kid and you've got to stay home. It's a way to stay connected. I love that there are people from, from other states who, who watch and, are, and participate in our services. It's a way for them to connect with us. And we have people from all over the state of Kentucky that watch, and, and I love that. I love that we can offer our online services, and we're going to continue to do so. But if Christ and the church are compared to a marriage, and I am to follow the example of Jesus in my connection and in my love to the church, here's the question, and don't answer this immediately. Just think about it. Could you have a marriage that existed 100% online? Just think about it. Just think about it. Could you have a marriage that existed 100% online? The answer is technically yes, you could. I mean, if I were to move to Australia tomorrow and Christy were to stay here in Glendale, we could FaceTime each other and we could, we could, we could do all of that stuff and we could, we could have a marriage, couldn't we? We could still stay married. But you're smart people. Would it be a healthy marriage? Not by any stretch of the imagination. And eventually, our marriage would fall apart. Why? Because married people are designed by God to be physically present with each other. And I'm not just talking sexually. I, I just mean that when, when I'm away from Christy, after a, after a time, I desire to be back with her. When I got home from camp on Friday, I, I, had, I had been gone since Sunday, and I just wanted to hang out with her. I just wanted to be with her, to lay on the couch beside her. And this is the analogy that God gives us uh, about the church. 
And maybe God is saying to you today, hey, you've been disconnected and and you wonder why you don't feel fulfilled. You wonder why you're not thriving. It's because you've been disconnected. And listen, if you're watching online right now and you're new to our church or maybe you're just new to, to the church altogether, I just want to tell you, hey, you take your time. You take all the time that you need to, to check us out and, and to figure out if, if this is the right thing for you. Look, it's a great way to invite friends to church, right? You say, hey, you, you're not comfortable coming to church yet? Just check them out online. Hey, I'm going to be there and, and you, don't, you can't come yet? Just check them out online. But think about this in terms of relationships. A lot of people start dating online first, don't they? And it's a good thing. I mean, you can check them out. You can find out some things about them. You can, you can, uh, there's all kinds of websites that you can do background checks and stuff without them ever knowing it. You can find out if, if they're an axe murderer or not before you actually meet up with them. That's a good thing, right? But don't you know that if in a dating relationship, if it's just online, eventually the relationship cannot move forward. It cannot move forward if you don't ever meet face-to-face. Of course, that's the way it has to happen, right? Anybody remember the movie You've Got Mail? Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It's, it's an older movie now. Uh, it's hard for me to think about that being an older movie because it came out when I was a kid. Um, but it's an older movie now. And it's about this couple who meets online. But eventually the movie is just about how, how these two people are struggling with their relationship because their relationship can't move forward until they actually meet face to face. It can't go any further until they meet up. And I'm just telling you, you cannot stay online. You cannot stay online and take your relationship with Jesus to any further level unless you gather physically and be present with the body of Christ. You can't. And I love online, and, and, and we're going to keep doing it. Why? Because when, when I'm gone, I'll, I like to FaceTime with my wife. It's about being able to stay connected, right? But let's not kid ourselves. Let's, let's, let's don't kid ourselves. Technology keeps us connected, but it is not a substitute for connection. Technology helps keep us connected. In fact, we're the most connected generation. We're living in the most connected generation that we've ever lived in. But you know what else we're living in? We're also living in the most isolated generation we've ever lived in. Technology helps keep us connected, but it is not a substitute for connection. It's no substitute for being connected to the body of Christ. And so Paul and various other people throughout Scripture say that the church is like a marriage. And I love that analogy because it's so strong. And I think the reason I love that analogy is because of the last one that we're going to look at, because this one's so strong too. The church is compared to a flock. The church is compared to a flock. Listen to how Peter puts this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Now a word to you who are elders in the churches. Who's he talking to? He's talking to, to the leadership of the churches, right? He says, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Not only am I an elder, but hey, I was there when Jesus experienced all of the things that he experienced. I was there. I'm an eyewitness. And so, so you, should, you should honor that. You, you should understand that I'm speaking with a certain authority. He says, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. And then he says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. In other words, I'm not speaking to you as one who, who has super authority and and is lording it over you i'm speaking to you as a fellow leader in christ's church as a fellow leader in the local church and this is what he says i appeal to you care for the flock that god has entrusted you care for the flock watch over it willingly not grudgingly not for what you will get out of it but because you are eager to serve look i need you to know something about the leadership here at glendale we are not in this for us 
We are not in this for us. We are in this for, for you. We, we desperately care for you. And look, look, I want desperately for every person here to thrive. I, I want your marriage to thrive. I want your kids to thrive. I want your grandkids to thrive. If you own a business, I want your business to thrive. We want to be for you. If you're a leader in, in whatever capacity, I want you to lead at heights that you never thought possible. But here's what I know as a shepherd. that the most dangerous thing for a flock is the person who leaves the herd and decides as an individual that they can exist on their own. That's when people die. Because you're separated from the pack. And we know this because of what Paul, uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says this, he says, stay alert. Be, be vigilant. Watch out for your great enemy. You have an enemy. And his name is the devil. And he says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Look, the, 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 the theme, the, the, the point for the enemy is very simple. John makes it clear in John 10.10. 10, he says the, the enemy, he, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan's job is, to steal, kill, and destroy. And Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. What kind of animals do lions go after? They go after the ones that decided, I don't need to be a part of the pack anymore, right? And too many people nowadays think, I don't need the church. I can operate as my own, as, as an individual on my own, but I'm just telling you, that's not a biblical model. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever find an encouragement to, to be apart from the body of Christ. And look, this is just too important for me to pull any punches with you and tell you just do whatever you want. Hey, it's okay if you're not a part of the church weekly or, or you're not consistent in your attendance or, or you're not consistent in, in being a part of the physical gathering or, or you're not worshiping with us. It's too important for that. I'm telling you that if you want to thrive in life, if you don't want to be stuck in faith, then you've got to be connected to the body. You've got to be married to Christ. You've got to be a part of the flock. If you're not here as a part of the gathering, you're weak. You're, you're weak. And, and I don't mean you're weak because you're personally weak. I mean you're weak because God designed you to be a, to, to be a part of the physical, physical church. That's how you were designed to grow. And, and you're only as strong as you are connected. Hear me on that. You're only as strong as you are connected. Hebrews says it this way. The writer says in chapter 10, he says, let us hold tightly without wavering, or one translation says unswervingly, to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think, think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Another version of that says, let us don't give up the habit of getting together as some are in the habit of doing. He says, but encourage one another, especially now that, now that the day of His return is drawing near. You know, what, you know what COVID did for many of us? You know what COVID did? It, it got us into a habit. Into a bad habit of not being part of a physical gathering. Listen, if you need to be online because you're, you're traveling, you're out of town, I get it. If you need to be online because you're sick and, 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 or you got a sick kid and you're just unable to be here that week, look, I, I understand. If you need to be online because you have some sort of medical thing that just keeps you from, from getting out, I get it. But for everyone else, don't you dare give up the habit of gathering together with the power of the church. We should never give up the, the power of being together as the church because there is power when we're together. I'm telling you, the, the weeks that I feel, feel um, most disconnected, the weeks that I feel most lifeless are the, are the weeks that I haven't been together with the body of Christ, where I haven't been together with the family of God. And I just bet that if you were to think about your own life, 
If you were to actually analyze it and think about it in these terms, you would probably find the same thing to be true for you. That when you're not a part of, of, of worship, when you, don't, when you don't feed off of the energy and, and off of the blessings that other people have, off of the strength that this body brings together collectively, you find yourself weak and lifeless. And so I want to challenge you today, because I believe this is true, that in your faith you will stop growing when you aren't a part of the physical gathering. In your faith, you will stop growing when you're not a part of the physical gathering. And so here's the challenge. And I want to make, I want, I'm going to ask that you make some very specific commitments. Specifically for, and I, I think commitments ought to have time frames on them. And so I'm going to ask that for the next three months, this would be your commitment. And if you're not ready to make this commitment, don't make it. But if you're, if you're willing, I would love for you to make this commitment. And here it is, is that I will be at church unless I'm out of town or medically unable to be there. Every week, I will be at church unless I'm out of town or I'm medically unable to be there. Not one out of every three weeks, not Christmas Eve and, and Easter and a couple of weekends in between, but, but every weekend, every single Sunday that you're going to commit to being a part of this gathering. Because some of you, you need to get back in the habit. But I don't want you to just be present, okay? I want you also to take your next step to contribute to the church. That I'll commit to being present and, and to contribute because we need everyone. Maybe you need to be a part of a group. Maybe that's how you contribute, that you, you become a part of the group. Maybe you need to start serving because you've been, you've been coming for a while and, and you're, you're, you're taking, and that's great. Like we, we need to take at certain points, but maybe you need to start giving a little more. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time and, and service. Maybe you need to start serving. I'm telling you, there's a place for you to serve. We have needs for, for, for volunteers to serve in all sorts of various ministries. Right now, there are needs for, for people in the nursery. We need, we need people to serve in the nursery. Who doesn't like holding babies, right? There's a need for people to do that. And so maybe that's what your contribution looks like. We need children's ministry workers. We need student ministry workers. And, and I get it, maybe those aren't your cup of tea, and, and I understand that. But there are other areas where you can serve. And if you, if you want to serve someplace, we'll find a place for you. Or maybe you say, hey, I know exactly where I'd like to serve. Hey, come talk to us. We will find a place for you to serve. Maybe your contribution, though, is to move your membership. You've been worshiping here for a while, and, and this is home. At least I hope it feels like that anyway. And let me be very honest about church membership, okay? Church membership, it doesn't get you a whole lot. It doesn't get you much. It, it doesn't get you into heaven. Church membership doesn't do that. It's not a get-into-heaven-free card. Uh, you don't get a membership card that suddenly gives you access to, to perks and benefits that, that non-members don't get. You don't get any of that, okay? It, it doesn't really get you a whole lot, but here's what it does do. It identifies you as, as a part of this body of Christ. The church universally is, is, is the body, it's the bride, it's the flock of Christ. And there are hundreds of thousands of local chapters around the world. And becoming a member is saying that this is the local body that I'm going to identify with. This is the place where I'm going to serve. This is the place where, where I'm going to be, where I'm going to worship. This is the ecclesia that I'm going to be a part of. And these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These aren't distant relatives that I see you know, just on weekends or just on holidays. But these are my brothers and sisters. And these are the people that I'm going to worship with weekly. What's required for membership? Well, pretty simple. You love Jesus. Pretty much it, right? You love Jesus. You, and if you love Jesus, then you have probably been identified with him through death, burial, and resurrection, through, through baptism. And, and if you have done that, you can be a member. There, there's no, like, there's no revote. Like, we're not going to vote on anybody. Like, you don't have to do any of the things that you've already previously done. If you've been baptized, look, I believe your baptism is good. 
Because you're not being baptized into a, a local body, you're being baptized into the body of Christ. And so, so, so it's good once and for all. Like, it's good. You, you don't have to do anything. You just have to love Jesus. Listen, the foundation of your life has to be built on the foundation of who Jesus is and his church. You have to be a part of the church. You have to be a part of the physical gathering. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if you need to make a decision to follow Christ, to, to identify with him through, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through baptism, then we're going to invite you to come. And, and if you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, this place isn't so bad. These people aren't that bad. I, I could worship with them on a weekly basis. And, and maybe you would like to move your membership. Then we're going to offer you a chance to do that. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, hey, I need to talk this over with my spouse. Like, hey, I get that. You, you should have that conversation, okay? Have that conversation. But then call me later this week and say, hey, Adam, we, we've been thinking about it. We've been talking about it. We want, it. we want this to be our home. I would love to have that conversation with you. Either way, your life has to be built on the foundation of who Jesus is and his church. Do you need the church? You better believe you need the church. Can you, live, uh, uh, can you live apart from the church? Yeah, for a little while. But you will not thrive, and you will get stuck in your faith. You desperately need the church, and the church needs you. Let me pray for us.